Awesome. Thank you, Dan, for uh, sharing your testimony and for uh, making the commitment of your time uh, to the Lord. Hey, can we do this? Can you uh, just turn to someone and say, I'm so glad you're here today. Can you say that to someone next to you? So glad that you're here. If you can chat, write something in the chat box. <clears throat> hey, um, I want to throw out a question um, for us to think about, and then I want to maybe share some, some, some thoughts here. If you could think of one adjective to describe this year, 2020, one adjective to describe 2020, what would that one adjective be? What would that one word be to describe uh, 2020? Uh, as you think about that, um, if you want to whisper that to someone next to you, I've got like three words or I've got a couple words, uh, if you want to share some of those words, and if you're worshiping online, you can write uh, your words in the chat box, that would be cool too. Um, I'm not going to try to read them right now, but um, as you do, um, we've come to the end of, a, of another year, and as we often do during times like this, we reflect. We reflect upon the year that has gone by, and um, I asked a few people this week, hey, can you tell me what's your one word for this year? Like, what is the adjective that defined this year for you? And here's what some of uh, you guys said. Um, there's about a handful of a dozen or so. Uh, challenging, exhausting, divisive, trying, lost reflective, dizzying, sad, heartbreaking, trying again, draining, transformative, unexpected, helpless, unprecedented, redemptive. And I think about this, that in probably the most polarizing year of our lives, there is one thing that the world over people can agree upon. We can agree upon the fact that this year was really hard. It was a hard year. You think about, like, first, let's, let's start in the, in, the, in the biggest circle, the world, at a global level. Not like individual nations, but at a global level. What our world went through, there's probably never been a year like it in, uh, in our lifetimes. That the world as a whole has gone through something together that was this painful. I've heard um, this week, I don't know if it was a real website, I think it was, but that Antarctica got its first case of COVID-19, obviously the last continent to get it. But on a global level, this was a very difficult year. As a nation here in America this year, pandemic aside, politics, race relations, um, election, this was a hard year. You bring it down to our church level, all churches, all churches in the world, all churches in America had a very difficult time this year. The isolation, not being able to meet, not being able to see people, not being able to, even being together, not being able to hear one another sing, which is one of the great blessings of community, which is why the psalmist tell us constantly to sing, make a loud noise, make a joyful noise, not being able to do that. Not being able to welcome new people into the church because of fears of COVID and, and because they're, they, they, they don't want to come. They don't know if they can come. All that was lost. As a church here, we went through so much loss, so much pain. At personal levels in your families, you went through a lot of stuff. For some, and, and, and the redemption of it is maybe your family needed to spend 24 hours together, seven days a week. But for others, that was a really hard time. There was violence, there was abuse, there was yelling. 24-7 felt like a prison, not like a redemptive time for our families, for some of us. For all of the division and all of the disagreement and all of the polarized views of this, that, and the other, one thing we can agree upon is that this year was hard. It's a very difficult 
year. And the question is why? Like, why was it so hard? Obviously not like what were the reasons it were hard. We could go uh, millions of reasons why. But why do we have to go through this? If we believe God's sovereign and that he's in charge of all things and that he loves, and he, like why do, why do we have to go through things like this? I'm not a fortune teller. I'm not a prophet. But I, what, what, what I do want to do is I want to bring you a secret not that God dropped into my heart and oh, I'm going to tell you something that nobody else knows, but a secret that's found in Scripture because we don't know the mind of God fully in every, in, in every situation, but we do know is how God's worked in the past. We do know what he has revealed to us. We do know his character and that yesterday, today, and forever he will be the same. And so what I want to do is I want to bring us into the heart and into the steps and into the life of a person who is in a very similar situation as ours where life was hard, it was unexpected, it was unprecedented. And then he shares with us a secret that I think God was wanting us to hear. We're going to look at a secret from 2020 by looking into Philippians 4, verses 10 through 13. Philippians 4, um, verses 10 through 13. I'm going to read these four verses, but I'm going to focus on verses 12 and 13 here um, and help us to make sense of what God may have been doing in this year and what he wants to do in the year and the years to come. Philippians 4, verses 10 through 13. This is the word of God for the people of God. It says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you've renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you've been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Verse 11, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. This is God's word. What might God have been doing in us in this year? What might he want to say to us? Two thoughts here that I want to bring out, and both are important. First, God was trying to teach us a secret this year. Okay, I believe with all of my heart, based on what I read here, that God was trying to teach us a secret this year. When I was uh, my second year in college, I studied psychology, but I was taking a class on, um, it was either on educational psychology or the social foundations of education, but the professor was a, a professor named Harold Burbach. He was one of, the, one of the esteemed, respected, prestigious professors at the university in which I attended. And he taught this class, and I remember just each week, even though I wasn't studying to be a teacher, I learned so many different things through his class about education, about learning, about how people learn. But probably the most important lecture that he gave in my, as far as I was concerned, was the last lecture, the last day of class. The last day of class, he who was respected and in a high position, tenured um, advisor to many principals, many counselors, many schools, um, just highly successful. He said, I'm going to tell you today not so much about education in general, uh, in particular rather, but I want to talk about lessons I've learned in life. Things that you need in order to be successful at this thing called life. And he was speaking from a secular perspective, not a spiritual perspective. But I remember one of the things that he said was so significant and so important 
to me as he was saying it. I still remember the slide on PowerPoint. I remember his voice and his cadence as he said it. But he said, students, you need to understand this one thing. If you want to be something in this life, you want to be something in this world, this is what he said. He said, discipline must become a force in your life. Discipline must become a force in your life. I don't know anyone, he said, who has been successful at anything who was not disciplined at life. And because of his stature, because of his position, because of his influence, because of his respectability, everybody listened to those words and they took it as a secret to life. When someone's gotten to a certain point and they say, I've got a secret of how I got to this point, and then it makes us want to lean in and listen a little bit more, doesn't it? You know what Paul is saying, Paul, the apostle, Paul, the missionary, Paul, the one who's probably the closest person to Jesus that we could think of, says, guys, I've learned a secret here. This is what he says. Look at verse 11, for I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. And then the language of verse 12, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. What he, here's what he's saying. Two things. One, there's a secret. The reason it's a secret is because not everybody knows this. If everybody knew that discipline must be a force in our lives, then everybody would be disciplined, but not everybody knows it. So he's like, I got this secret that's going to make you successful in this life. Paul's saying, there's a secret that I know, and not many people, in fact, most people don't know it. Okay? He's saying, if I'm honest, most people don't know that there's a secret that I have learned, but here's a good thing. Not everyone knows it, that's the bad thing, but the good thing is I've learned this. And if I've learned it, he's saying, so can you. Because the one who's doing the teaching is not only a master teacher, he's also your father in heaven. Guys, God has been trying to teach us a secret through this year. And like every master teacher knows, God knows two things. He knows what we need to know, and he knows how we need to learn it. He knows not only the subject matter, he knows his students. Okay, so what is it that we're, we're needing to learn? We're learning how to be content in any and every situation. That's what God is trying to teach us. But how does he teach us that? What is he doing in order to teach? He's not trying to teach us by merely telling us or by having you read it in a book. He's saying, here's how you're learning it through any and every situation. Why did you go through? Why did I go through? Why did we go through the things that we went through? Well, if what the Word of God is telling us is true, it's because there was something God was trying to to teach us, and we could only learn it by being put in any and every situation. He's saying, listen, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in plenty or in poverty, whether in prosperity or in pain, all of those things were God's teaching me 
so that I might become content. If he were speaking to us today, he said the year 2020 meant that in everything you went through in pandemic as well as in prosperity, in pandemic as well as in pleasure, God was teaching you a secret that you can be content no matter what you are going through in life. And the only way we can learn that lesson is by us being put into these situations because there's a lot of stuff, guys. There's a lot of stuff that we went through that we didn't want to go through this year. And the temptation is for us to say, you know what, if 2020 was just a little bit better in terms of these things, then I would have had a better year. I'd have been a little bit more content. Well, think about what Paul is going through here. Paul is talking, and if you know anything about Philippians, one thing that Philippians, that defines the book of Philippians, it's the word joy. He's talking about joy in all things, and he says, here, I'm content in every situation. What was he going through? He was in prison. He's in jail, bound to Roman guards. And he's saying, I'm content. Poverty, plenty, prison, I'm still content. My contentment does not ebb and flow with the circumstances of my life. You've got to learn that. Because if things are going well right now, there will be a time in your life where things won't be going so well. Everything that you think you need could be taken away just like that. 2020 has taught us that. And he's saying, no matter what situation, God is teaching me to be content. Because not only is he in prison, but the ministry that he's built up, which has been so successful, all of a sudden, as soon as he gets in prison, is starting to feel like it's crumbling because people are talking smack about Paul. They've they've, they've told some version of stories about him that are not true. They're gossiping about him. They're slandering him. They're speaking badly about his name. And everything that should have been in Paul's life was not the way that it is. And in Paul's life, he's sitting in prison and he could easily have said, this is not the way it should be. To me, that sounds a lot like 2020. So many things that happened were things over which we would say, this isn't the way it should be. When we opened the door to 2020 full of hope, full of excitement, full of vision, we took our first step and it felt like we got smacked in the face with brokenness, with pain, with heartache. It's like we fell off a cliff. And this year was laughing at us. This is not the way it should be. This was my graduation year. This was the year I was supposed to make all these memories. But a pandemic shut all that down. This is not the way it was supposed to be. This was the year we were supposed to celebrate Grandma's 80th birthday. We're going to meet up in Vietnam. We're going to meet up in Korea. And then she got sick. This is not the way it's supposed to be. This was the year I was supposed to move into the new home, my dream home. Everything was ready. And then I got laid off. This isn't the way it was supposed to be. This was the year all of my hopes and dreams, the year I was going to go to that XYZ, ABC, this BTS concert. This was a year. And everything fell apart. This isn't the way it was supposed to be. This was the year we're going to go on that retreat that's going to change our lives. It's not the way it's supposed to be. Did you feel that way? As I look back at, at this year, I think to myself, listen, when churches started reopening, here's what the numbers say. 36% of people who were coming to church pre-COVID are still coming to church, 36% in person. 
If you're to tell me, hey, you know what, DL, on January, the first Sunday of January this year, hey, on the last Sunday of December 2020, you're going to have half the people worshiping with you that last Sunday. I would have said, there's no way, no way, no way. This is not the way it's supposed to be. When I think about this year, I think about how uh, we've suffered great loss. One of the finest people that we knew was called home to be with the Lord James. Yay. It's not the way it's supposed to be. I think about my life. I think about my friends, my best friend's wife, 45 years old, 46 years old. It's not supposed to have late-stage cancer, and the diagnosis, the prognosis was measured not in years and months, but in weeks. That's not the way it was supposed to be. That's not what we planned this year to be. My parents weren't supposed to move down here uh, in November because of health reasons. That's not the way it was supposed to be. Olive wasn't supposed to get laid off from her job because the school that she was working at shut down. That's not the way it was supposed to be. We weren't supposed to catch a disease. Olive, me, my mom, we weren't supposed to get a disease for which this pandemic is named. Not Olive. Me, I understand me. That's fine. But Olive, all she wants to do is love you. My mom, all she wants to do is take care of us. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. And if you ask me why did we go through these situations, if what Paul is saying is true, the ups and downs in any and every situation, what is God doing? He's trying to teach us that we can find contentment independent of our circumstances. If that's the reason why we go through the ups and downs in life, then can I tell you something? Can I confess to you? This year I failed. I failed to see what God wanted me to see. This year was hard for all of us. It was hard for me. And if God's given out grades today, today's the final exam. We get our grades back and we're comparing grades. I'm looking at my report card. I'm like, man, if I had known this before, maybe I'd have done a little bit better. What about you? How did you do this year in any in every situation, if God indeed is using these things, guys, to teach us the secret of being content regardless of the circumstances in life, how have you done this year? Because a lot of us say, you know what, again, if these things happened, this year wouldn't have been so bad, but they didn't happen. Here's what we think. Here's what we're programmed to think. If things were just better, I would be more content. Paul is saying, listen. Whether well-fed, I'm well-fed, I'm content. I'm hungry, I'm content. There is a way for you to be content independent of what's going on in your situation in life. That's a secret that God wants us to get. Because again, if things are going well right now, there will be a moment very soon in life where things are not going well. And if God has been whispering a secret to us, have we had ears to hear. One of our former pastors here, his name is Solo. Some of you remember Solo. Um, he's now uh, doing ministry at MIT, one of the uh, brightest institutions, finest institutions that are just pumping out people who are alleviating suffering in this world. And Solo said, I, literally working with the best and brightest in the world, whether they be international students or, or, or people coming from America, it's like these are the best and the brightest. They're going to change the world. They've got prestige. They've got honor next to their name. They're going to be making six figures in a couple years. They've got all that stuff. 
And yet when I see each of them individually, there is such a brokenness within them. There's got to be more to life, they say. And this is what he said, being at MIT has taught me the depth of human brokenness, not because they don't have anything, but because they've got everything. Paul is saying you can have everything that the world says you need and still be empty. And you can have nothing that the world says you need and be absolutely content. What is contentment? It's knowing that in any situation of your life, right now, this moment in life, the things that you think you need, if you do not have them, it's because God doesn't think that you need them. He has given you everything you need for this moment in your life. And if you think you need a job, you think you need a boyfriend, you think you need money, you think you need this, that, and the other, if you don't have it right now, it's because God doesn't think you need it. And when you need it, he will give it to you when you need it. Not before, not after. A lot of times we confuse what I want, what I think I need, with what I really need. And contentment is knowing that my Father, who is my teacher, my Father who loves me, will only give me that which I need. Could it be that this is why? We've gone through so much in this year because God wants to teach us that you don't need everything that people say you need, that you don't need everything you think you need in order to find contentment in any and every situation. How tragic would it be for God to cleanse the world of this virus and not cleanse our hearts and leave them the way that they are. I don't want to exit this pandemic, my friends, and I rejoice for the sake of a vaccine coming, but I don't want to put hope in a vaccine to do and short-circuit what God is wanting to do in us. I don't want to exit this pandemic the same way I entered in. I want to be changed through it, and so does God want us to be changed. And the first part is learning to be content regardless of what's going on in our lives. That's the first thing God wants to teach you, teach us a secret. Well, how do we find contentment? How, do we, how are we content? Well, the second thing that we see, the secret is that if you have Jesus, you have all that you need. I don't want to be glib about this. I don't want to be pithy about this because you've heard this a million times over. But do you believe this in your heart? That if you have Jesus, that you have everything that you need, even if you're lying on your deathbed because of cancer, that if you have Jesus, you have everything that you need. That if all of your hopes and dreams Come to nothing, but you've got Jesus active, working in your life, that you still have everything that you need. He tells us this secret. A lot of times the way that we think of contentment is we think of, yeah, you know what, 2020 was really hard for me, but at least it wasn't as bad as these people. Like that's often where we go. That's often what we do. 
You don't need Jesus. You don't need the gospel. Jesus didn't need to die for that kind of contentment that says, well, compared to other people, I'm just, I'm, I'm fine, I'm better. You hear this kind of stuff whenever we come back from mission trips. We go to the Dominican Republic, come back, or some developing nation, come back. And especially young people, they come back and they're like, you know, hey, what did you learn? How was your trip? I, I, yeah, you know what? I realize how much I take for granted. I realize how selfish I am. I realize how little I give thanks. I'm going to learn to be more grateful. How are you going to do that? Well, I think about, man, when I was in the mission field, like these kids are running around and I say, you know, where's your dad? They say, we don't know our dad. I don't know who my dad is. So I come back to America and I say, I'm going to treat my parents with love. I'm going to honor them. In the Dominican Republic, man, they didn't even have beds. They just had these cots. I'm going to come home and every day before I go to sleep, I'm going to give thanks to God for my bed. They didn't even have toilets that flushed the first year we went to DR. We had to, uh, after we did our business, we had to pour buckets of water into them. And if it didn't rain, we don't flush. I'm going to come and first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to kiss my toilet seat before I go to the bathroom. People have literally said that. Uh, they don't even have, uh, they don't have showers. It's just rainwater that collects in a big old trash can, and we take these cups of water, we pour it on us. Man, I can't believe I used to spend 30 minutes taking a shower. I'm just going to take five-minute showers, and I'm going to think about people in the DR. And so we say, oh, that's great. But how long does that last? You ask anybody who's gone, lasts a week maybe, four days, three days? After the first three days of giving mom and dad a hug, all of a sudden, fourth day, you're like, oh, my gosh, mom, why are you nagging me? It's the summer. Just let me sleep in. Oh my gosh, I, now I, I, I can't, it's so hot inside my house, I need to take a 10-minute shower, forget all the things that I, contentment is not in the Bible, it's not about you looking at other people who've got a worse life than you think circumstantially and saying things are okay. That's not what he's saying. What is he saying? What's the secret, verse 13? Paul says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Probably one of the most misquoted verses in Scripture. I, the first time I saw this verse, Philippians 4.13, I was a middle school student, I think, and I was watching football on TV, and there was a team called Notre Dame, and they were playing, and this one guy off of his uniform, he had this little towel, and on his towel it said Philippians 4.13, and as a kid who grew up in church, I was like, oh my gosh, there's a Bible verse. So I went to my Bible, and I read it. I can do everything through him who gives me strength, and I was like, man, this is a verse to rally around. So this became my favorite Bible verse. I was so excited that there was something I could tell people when they say, hey, okay, what's your favorite Bible verse? I would immediately say Philippians 4.13, and they're like, ooh, you actually have one. Like, you're so spiritual. What does that mean? I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And so I would go, and I would play basketball, and I would say to myself, and I would pray, say, God, uh, you said I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I'm trusting in you, so help me to play well. And I would play poorly and say, God, what happened? I can, I can dunk a basketball. I can do everything. Doesn't that fall under everything? I can dunk a basketball. I try and I miss and say, Jesus, what's wrong with you? You weren't strong enough for me. That's what I thought this verse was. And, hey, that's what a lot of us think. Right before you take a test, right before you ask that girl on a date, right before you go into surgery, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Maybe in some infinitesimally small way, maybe. But what is he saying? What is he really saying in context? Well, read it in context. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. This is the same language as I can do everything. I can do all things. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I can endure any 
and every situation. How? Through Christ who gives me strength. The secret to contentment in any situation in life is you drawing, feasting, feeding intimately on Jesus. Guys, if we have not found contentment in our lives this year or any other year in any situation, 99.9% that the reality is we were not looking to Jesus to be everything that he wanted to be for us. Because you don't know that Jesus is all that you need until Jesus is all that you have. And you cannot say that Jesus is all that I need until he's all that you have. Again, this is hard stuff. But if you know Jesus, no matter what the situation in life, you can have a source, a current of contentment and hope and joy that this world would die to know. God could get rid of your cancer. He could get rid of COVID. He could get rid of your depression. He could get rid of our anxiety. He could get rid of, he could get rid of all these, just a, a, a word. He's done that in the scriptures. Whatever he did in the past, he's able to do now, and even more than that. Why doesn't he? Could it be that there's something more important to God than the changing of your circumstances. Guys, do you remember that there was a lady who had been bleeding in the Gospels for 17 years? And on Jesus' way to bring healing to a girl who was sick, this lady says, if I could just touch Jesus, then I'll be healed. And she, through the crowd, touches Jesus, and immediately her bleeding stops and she's healed. And as Jesus is on his way to heal a kid who's in an urgent situation, Jesus stops and says, who touched me? And his disciples are like, Jesus, yo, we got to go. Like, this girl's got a little bit of time left before she dies. We got to go. And Jesus is like, I need to know who touched me. And they're like, what does it matter? Like, well, what does it matter? There's a crowd of people, everybody's touching you. He said, power went out for me. I know that someone got their healing. Who touched me? Jesus wasn't asking. He was not asking for himself. He was asking for her. Because to Jesus, it was far more important. There was something far more important to him than for her to be healed. What was it? It was for her to encounter the healer. Guys, it was far more important to Jesus that this woman experienced Jesus himself than it was for her to have a shift in her situation and for her bleeding to be stopped. It was far more important for Jesus that she would encounter him than that she would encounter her healing. And the same is true with us. It's far more important to Jesus that you get face-to-face -face with him than it is that you have your circumstances and situations changed to be what you think they ought to be.
Because if you've got Jesus, no matter the circumstances, you are going to be fine. What does that look like? Can I be practical for a little bit and speak to some of us who are disappointed over the fact that today was supposed to be the first day of a retreat that we were hoping for, praying for, longing for to be the turning point in our lives. Some of you were desperately needing this time. But if I could just speak from my heart for a second and tell you about the time I didn't get to a retreat that I desperately wanted to get to. I was 19 years old. I just finished my first year in college. And I was so hungry to know God. But I... I I didn't know anybody at that time that was more eager for Jesus than I was. And there was a retreat right after school ended where I knew, man, that the preacher was going to be amazing. The praise team was amazing. There was going to be someone there who would pray for people and would speak into their lives, and their lives were just going to be changed. That's the way it always happened with this one speaker. It was a person I I, I wanted to, to, to see, to meet, to hear, to be prayed for. But during that one week the retreat was, I had to take this summer school class. It wasn't the main summer school session. No one took summer school. There were maybe like 40 people in the entire campus. It was a summer pre-session just for those who are trying to get into the business school. And so there was about 30, 40 people on campus, and there was no other time to take this one class. And so the retreat that I desperately, desperately wanted, needed to go to, I wasn't going to be able to go to because of this class. I didn't even get into the business school a year later, but that's a different story. I remember that retreat being from Monday to Thursday, and I remember Monday, I was like, God, I so wanted to be with my friends seeking you, but since I'm not, can you just make this retreat be kind of bad for them? Like, just make it, they can get blessed, but not, not too much. I honestly, as a 19-year-old, I prayed that. Help it to be good, but not great. Help it to be good, but not that good. Second day of the retreat, <laughs> my pastor, IJ, called me. We didn't have cell phones back then. He had to go to either a pay phone or I had to go to uh, the office phone and call me on my home phone. I picked it up and... He said, hey, you know what, Um, we're all really sad that you're not here, but we're all thinking of you. We're all praying for you and wishing that you were here. I remember he said, we are thinking deeply of you. I was encouraged. My small group leader, a guy named Jerry, also called me. I don't know how he called me from where he called me, but he was at the retreat also, and he said, hey, we're praying for you. Uh, Don't feel bad. We're, We're praying for you. And so I remember feeling like, man, they're at this retreat getting blessed, and they're praying for me to get blessed. Here I am not being blessed, praying that they would not be blessed. And I just started, I just started repenting for just the attitude of my heart. God, I'm sorry for my selfishness, for thinking that I know better than you, for all of these things. And, and I said, God, if you are meeting people, if God, you, the one I'm praying to, is meeting people at Potomac Park Camp in Falling Waters, West Virginia, then you could meet me here too. And if they're going to have a retreat, then I'm going to have a retreat here. Maybe, maybe I could do that with you. Would you meet me in this place? Would you do that for me? 
And I remember saying, God, I, I don't want this hunger to go to waste. And so for the first time in my life, I picked up a Christian book. It was called The Wonderful Spirit-Filled Life. And I read it and I thought to myself, oh my gosh, this is what life in Christ ought to be like. Like, I, I, I'm tasting like 5% of what I think is, is Christian life, but there's all this other stuff that God promises, and, and I want that. Like, I want that. I want more of you, God. I want to hunger for you. I want to long for you in that way. And he said, the only way, that the only thing you need to do is just the way that fruit is produced in the spiritual life is you as a branch stay connected to Jesus. That's it. That's it. You stay connected to him, and then fruit will be born in your life, and you'll begin to experience this wonderful life. And I said, God, I want that. I want that. I, I read another book called Too Busy Not to Pray, and it said, in your busiest days, you're too busy to not depend on God. And so I started praying like crazy. As soon as class was done, I would go to the chapel, and for two hours and three hours, I would just sit there in the chapel and say, God, I want more of you. God, save my friends. God, change this campus. Lord, revive my heart. And I began praying, and I would go home, and after like three, four, five days, man, my heart was on fire for God. I I, I would go wherever I went, on campus, off campus, in class, off class, on the phone with my former youth group friends. I would call all of them wherever they were. I'd call my brother, and I was like, dude, guys, you guys need Jesus. You need Je not what you, not what we had in youth group, Jesus, but you need Jesus. You need to encounter him, because once you get him in your life, everything is different. Everything is different. We have no idea. We've barely scratched the surface. My heart was on fire for Jesus. I said, God, I want, I want to have more of Christ in my life. And the crazy thing is, like, nothing else mattered to me. These people came back from the retreat, and they're like, man, the retreat was so good. And I was like, I'm so glad it was so good for you. In my selfish, prideful, spiritual pride mind, I was thinking, I'm going to run laps around you spiritually by the end of the summer because I'm doing something that God is doing something in my life that you have no idea that was my pride. I needed to repent of that also. But I was living in this house about 10 minutes away from everybody else, and I didn't have a car. Everybody else in summer, yeah, summer school and, and college is fun. Everybody's hanging out, playing, doing stuff. And so go to class, do your homework, and then play for like hours a day. That's what they're doing 10 minutes away. Usually I had this major fear of missing out. But I didn't care. Like my friends were doing stuff. They would say, oh, yeah, this is what we're doing. We didn't, again, no social media at the time. I didn't know, but I didn't care. Because I was reading the word and the word was just pouring into my heart and it was like life to me and God was speaking to me and I was praying and I was seeing all of these things happen and the, things were still hard in life. But man, I was experiencing intimacy with Jesus unlike anything that I'd ever known before and the great irony of it, my friends, is that the best retreat, the retreat that changed my life was a retreat that I could not go to. Listen, some of you guys may be very upset, very sad, discouraged, even disappointed that this is the week of retreat. Can I tell you something? If you know this and you get what he's saying, man, this week could still change your life in far greater ways than any. God doesn't need a retreat. He doesn't need all this stuff. He just needs you and a heart that's hungering for him. This next week could change your life forever. Doesn't make sense to you why we can't do this. That's okay. It's a lot of things that didn't quite make sense this year. But God is saying, I'm trying to teach you something. 
independent of whatever situation you think you need to be content. If you've got me, you've got everything. And so it is that we think back to all the things that God has done throughout history. Doesn't seem to make sense, God. Like two days ago, we celebrated Christmas. Can you imagine, like, here's me this week talking to God. I was like, God, okay, people are sinful. You've got to save the world. But you could do it differently. You could do it differently. Just send Jesus down as a man. Like, he, he could just come down from a mountain and he could just save us. He doesn't have to be a helpless baby. He doesn't have to be born to poor parents. Like, why? He, he could have at least been born in a, in, 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 a, in a decent place. Like, why would your son be born in a manger? That just that doesn't seem right. It's just, that's not the way it should be. It's got to be a better way. And, and, and God, if he's going to be born, why not Jerusalem? Like, why did he have to be raised in, in Nazareth, in, in Galilee? Like, people are going to make fun of him. There's nothing good that comes out of Nazareth. People are going to mock him and make fun of him. And why, like, why was this situation like that? And there's got to be a better way. Like, it doesn't make any sense. And if, and if he has to die, then, then, then let him die some other way. Why does he need to hang on a cross and for six hours, like, bleed out and suffocate and die because he couldn't breathe? Why, why, why do you have to die that way? God, it, it just doesn't make sense. It's a lot of things that don't make sense from Bethlehem to Nazareth to Calvary. But in every one of those things, doesn't make sense to us was actually the most loving thing that God could do. To be born in a manger, a messy place. To die on a cross, a messy place, so that we could know that messy places Jesus is not afraid to go to. We need to know that. We need to know that. To be mocked, to be made fun of, to be slandered, to come from a dysfunctional family. Jesus understands your situation. To have parents who don't understand why you love him, why you love God so much. Jesus understands that. And for a father to lose someone that he loved, not only to lose him, but to see him suffer. He understands that the things that don't make sense to us were the most loving things of God because they led us to himself. The depression that you're going through that doesn't make sense, the disappointment, the anxiety, the sickness, the fears, the rejections, the discouragement, all of these things that don't make sense to you and to me are the most loving thing that God can do for us because it gets us to him. We see that. We see his goodness. We see his kindness. We see his love through every situation. In every situation and in every situation, God is chasing after us. He's pursuing after us so that we could find contentment regardless of what we're going through because we know that if we have intimacy with Jesus, we can face everything so that in this year, 2020, and in every year to come, we can understand and know this secret. 
And we can say, I can do everything, endure every situation, endure any situation, endure all situations because of Christ who loves me, who's with me, who gave himself for me, who strengthens me, and who will go with me until I see him face to face, until I dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That we would learn this secret and learn this lesson and that it would carry us through every moment and every day and every disappointment and every high of our lives that we cling to his promise and cling to Jesus. Let's pray together. Let's take a moment to pray to the Lord God. Let's pray as we reflect upon this year. Did you see that through all the ups and downs and failures, all the things that didn't make sense, all the things that we didn't draw up, did you see that now maybe that God is wanting to teach you and love you and bring you near to him. Those disappointments, the people who are gone are in a better place. The worry is not them. The concern is us that we would see. The dreams that were denied, sometimes our dreams need to die in order for us to find Christ. The things that we wouldn't wish upon anybody else, God was with us through the fire. He was with us in the waters so that Jesus would be everything to us. Jesus is not all you need until he's all you've got. And God will only give you what you need. And if you don't have it now, then he deems that you do not need it in this moment. Let's pray, God, would you help me to be content in you and you alone. And then let's pray, God, I want more of you. I want to hunger for more of you. I want to long for more of you. I want to seek you with all of my heart so that I would know this secret of being content. It's Christ who strengthens me. Let's pray together for a minute or two in that way, asking the Lord that he would meet with us. Let's pray together for a few moments and then I'll pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for, for helping us to understand if all we had were the situations of life, if all we had was human wisdom to try to navigate this, we could find a lot of good advice on the internet, but we'd never find good news. And the good news is that you don't give us what we deserve. We think we deserve better but we deserve far worse. We thank you that in Christ, that which we deserve, the punishment for our sins was taken by another, the perfect Lamb of God, to cleanse us so that all we know is the love of God. Help us to see that love, just like the love of a parent on earth, is not always what the child deems to be loving. 
but we may see in time. We may never see until we see your face. Father, we pray that you would help us to cling to the promises and to cling to the one who promised. Help us, Lord, that we would love you above all things and that you would be the deepest joy and the great prize of our lives. Teach us to be content by finding our contentment in Christ. Thank you so much. We love you because you've loved us first, and we thank you that your goodness in the good times and in the hard times continues to chase after us. We thank you so much. We pray these things in Jesus' name.